Welcome to Rise, Healing from Childhood Sexual Abuse Podcast. I am your host, Jessica Heil, registered psychologist and DBT certified clinician. I am also a childhood sexual abuse survivor. In this podcast, I will offer information about childhood sexual abuse in order to provide you with knowledge on this difficult topic, as well as provide you with strategies and tips that you can access now in order to begin moving from surviving to thriving. Hey everyone, and welcome back. This is episode two. Today is going to be about me sharing my story about my experiences with childhood sexual abuse. Uh, So trigger warnings for this one. I'm going to talk about some things that are definitely, you know, hard to hear. I, I imagine anyone tuning into this podcast knows that every episode is going to have something that's difficult to hear, but this one goes into a little bit of detail about what my experiences were. So um, if that's going to be triggering to you, just maybe skip this episode or, or be prepared to know that there are going to be some triggering pieces of material. Do what you can to offer yourself some self-care. Maybe you can curl up and listen to this with a cup of tea or right now, if you were to see me and what I'm doing, I've I've got my bulldog Mac here that is hanging out with me and he's giving me some love and support. So that's how I'm giving myself a little bit of self-care while I I record this episode. Okay, so um, why am I sharing my story? I guess the reason why I feel like this is an important episode to record is because I would like to be part of the movement of reducing any stigma that people who are survivors of childhood sexual abuse experience. There's still a weird taboo that exists where people really don't talk about their abuse. And there's this implied message almost that it's shameful to have been abused. And I really want to start to break that down. A huge part of my healing journey has been to shift my own cognitions towards that. I have, for many years now, taken on a bit of a motto. I say to myself, it's not my shame. As in, I'm not the one that caused this or did this to myself. So I don't need to carry that shame. And another way I think about it is that this is my story to tell. And I don't want to feel like anybody can take away the power that I have of who I share this with and who I do not. That needs to be within my control. And choosing to put this out to the world in this way, I'm choosing the method I'm putting it out. I'm choosing the time and the place, and I'm feeling in control of that. And there's a power in that. I feel empowered to be making this decision. So that's why I'm going to put it out. Um, I also am putting it out to the world because I am very proud to say that I have worked through a lot of the after effects that come with childhood sexual abuse and I've made a lot of progress with my own mental health and personal well-being and by sharing some of the details and hearing you know that, that there's been some really rough things that I've gone through with respect to abuse and being able to show that you can come out of the other side of that. I just hope that there's someone out there that's listening who is really struggling that can 
grasp on to that shimmer of hope and understand that it is absolutely possible to go through these things and to come out the other side intact with strong well-being and strong mental health. Also, before I start to share the story, I'm, I'm going to just talk about a, some wording that I'm choosing. I have thought long and hard about whether to fully disclose who my perpetrator was and share, you know, exactly who, uh, the pros and cons of doing this. And I have decided that I am going to take a middle path between disclosing and not disclosing because I think it's important, again, breaking down that stigma to just share, right, who it is. And again, it's not my shame. I'm not the one who did this to myself. And my concern with sharing exactly who it is, is that there are family members that I still care about very much who had a relationship with this person at the time of the abuse. And to disclose it outright, I worry about the harm that could come to some of these family members and the hurt that they could experience. And I really don't want to be a part of causing any more or any harm or hurt. There's been enough damage that has been inflicted because this experience has happened to me. And there are certain family members who are aware of it as it is. And they've gone through, you know, this whole experience with me and, and they've been hurting alongside of me. So I just don't want any more hurt to be caused. So for that reason, I am going to refer to this person as the family member because they were, they're a family member. That is the part I will disclose. Or sometimes you might hear me referring to them as the abuser, the perpetrator. So any of that type of language, that's, that's who I'm talking about. Okay, so there we go. Um, so where to start? I guess as long as I can remember. So since being a little girl, I recall this particular person acting in ways that now I realize were sexual towards me. There would be lewd comments that were made. There would be looks that were uncomfortable. There would be um, just inappropriate things. I, I remember sitting on his lap and gosh, I must have been like maybe maybe five and straddling his lap and him making comments about the fact that, you know, the way I was sitting like that and uh, making an inference that it was that I was being sexual in nature. And of course, at five years old, you have no idea what that means, right? So like, I, this is it's bizarre to me thinking back on that, because, you know, really, how can a five year old be sexual? It's just ludicrous. Uh, so that was probably my earliest memory of sexual abuse was being told things like that. And then going on from around probably the same age until until the major abuse started happening. I have a lot of memories of this family member trying to play games with me like wrestling and tickling and that kind of thing. And his hand would frequently go to areas that it shouldn't. So he would end up brushing against my genitals or um, against my um, my chest. And of course, I'm pre, um, pre-pubescent at this point, so there's nothing there. But nonetheless, I knew there's something in the back of my mind that said this isn't right. I always remember feeling uncomfortable when any of that happened. And 
not being really sure how to respond. But it was always subtle enough that it was never completely evident that it was on purpose. And I recall sometimes trying to bring it up of like, this makes me uncomfortable. And there would just be denial that was made about it. Um, so that just continued for a long time. And what else? I remember finding pornography left open on the computer. Um, I don't know whether or not that was intentional, but I remember as a very young person being shocked and not knowing what I was looking at. It was only, you know, when I'm older realizing what that was. Um, and then where the major abuse started happening, I think I was around the age of nine, but I honestly could not tell you for sure. I have a bit of a, a timestamp in my head because I know that I was at, uh, I, I switched schools, um, a new school was built in my community uh, between grade two and grade three. And I know that the abuse started happening at the new school. So I know I must have been in grade three or older, but I really don't know much beyond that. I just can't remember. Uh, but I'm going to assume around age nine. I remember that I went to school one day and some kids had been talking about sex, which I had never heard of before. And I happened to later on have a, a conversation with this family member. And, uh, and there's a few family members who were around during this conversation. So I think I brought it up like at a dinner or something, you know, just kind of blurted it out like, what sex? <laughs> Awkward. Um, and I don't know that anyone ever answered my question or I don't know. I can't remember how they handled it. Um, they probably just laughed awkwardly and tried to give me, you know, as best they could the birds and the bees type of response that, you know, older family members might give. And that was it. And then later there was a point where this family member brought it back up with me and had said to me, do I want to find out what sex is and again being young and not knowing how to respond like I honestly don't even know how I responded um but what I do know is that was the start of the major abuse and he had me perform sex acts on him and that happened for um a few times I I know for sure I can remember at least four times and I don't know how long in between. Um, I don't think it was like a span of, well, maybe it was a span of weeks. I don't know. And this is the funny thing about memory is I honestly don't know um, whether it was a span of weeks or months or even years, but I do know that it created a lot of anxiety in me and that I was confused and that I didn't like it and that I knew it was wrong, but I didn't know why it was wrong. Um, there's a few times where I think how I figured out that it was wrong is that there was a time, a specific time where he almost got caught in that act and he acted really guilty. And I think that was the first time that I went, oh, like this is, this is not okay. And, um, yeah, so it kept on going on for a while. Um, 
regression or repression, sorry, is a funny thing. I'm going to subject change here for a second, but it's all relevant. Um, so there is this construct in psychology called repression. And it's the idea that we can have really traumatic things happen to us. And the brain can only handle so much trauma. And sometimes what can happen um, is the theory is that your your brain can essentially shut down. It will not allow you to continue to remember the trauma because it is just too traumatizing to the brain. Now, this theory is um, a bit controversial. There There is some research and evidence for it, and there's some not. Like some people, some theorists will say, oh, yes, this is a thing. And then there's other researchers that say that this really isn't a thing. So I don't know, right? If you were to look at the research, you're going to see that it's mixed. But what I can tell you from my own anecdotal evidence, what happened to me, I fervently believe that repression is a real thing because I remember being young, so again, nine, 10 years old, and having so much guilt, like guilt that would keep me awake at night, eat me alive. I felt awful uh, for a long time, like hours at a time. I'm sure days at a time. And a few times I do remember going to this family member and saying, I want to stop. And also like what would happen if we told someone? And there were a lot of threats that were made that made me feel like I was really stuck. I was told that if we stopped that he would never play with me anymore, which when this is you know, an, an attachment figure in your life as a nine, 10 year old kid, that's a big deal. And I remember feeling really torn because on the one hand, I didn't want to lose this person. And because he's, you know, he, he was someone who was important in my life. And yet at the same time, there was this thing that was happening to me that I, I really didn't like. And then when I asked him about what would happen if we told somebody he would say that it would it would break up relationships within the family and that it would be my fault if I told somebody. So between those two threats, I just kept it inside and I didn't tell anybody and just carried on. Eventually, the abuse stopped. I, at some point, found the strength, courage, whatever you want to call it, to say enough. And, you know, I truly, I just think my lucky stars that, you know, little me had, I don't know, the, the wisdom to be able to say that. I don't know what it was because I, I don't feel like I can really take a huge amount of credit for that. I think um, self-preservation kicked in. I don't know, but I know that there's a lot of stories out there if you're listening where, um, you know, sometimes there's something that happened that would have stopped the abuse. Sometimes it might have been you who said something to stop it. But I know there's a lot of instances where the abuse didn't stop. And so I'm hesitant to even say that I had a role in stopping it because I don't want to invalidate anybody out there. So if you're hearing this, just just know that I'm with you. And I know it's not as simple as stopping. And I also know that I was lucky that, you know, somehow he listened because um, I know a lot of people who have tried to ask that or tell me that they tried that um, during the abuse and it made it worse. So um, it's tricky. But nonetheless, I asked and he did stop. Um, 
this is where my mind gets a little bit scattered. I feel like I'm kind of going in all directions, but this is emotional and that's what happens when emotions um, are high, right? As our brains don't quite make sense of things in sequential order. So going backwards a little bit, there's other things that I will never know whether or not they happened. Um, I know that there was small, not small, there was events that happened that left me wondering whether more had occurred. Uh, I've got memories of, of sometimes waking up and he'd be there and um, kind of standing over me. And I remember one time questioning and saying, like, what are you doing? And he said, oh, I'm just watching you sleep. And it was just the, the creepiest feeling. So things like that happened. Um, sometimes waking up and, and not having like pajama pants on and I didn't have a, a memory of taking them off. Or maybe, maybe I did. I mean, this is again where I don't know. It's, we could do funny things in our sleep sometimes. So it's possible that nothing happened, but it's also possible that something did. So I'm left with a lot of gaps in my memory and coming back to repression. So um, a lot of gaps and a lot of guilt that happened when I was a lot younger. And then all of a sudden I just forgot about the trauma for years, actually. I really don't remember having any trauma memories until I was around the age of 14. So from about 10 or 11, I would say, to 14, it was like it didn't happen, which is so bizarre. And that's why I say I think that repression is a real thing, because I, I honestly don't know where those memories went for that time. But then around the age of 14, they started coming back. And they came back slowly. It was like one memory at a time. Sometimes one would just hit me, like out of thin air. And it made me feel like, you know, I was being hit with a ton of bricks. And um, it was hard. Okay. I think that is probably a good place to stop for today. Next episode, I plan to share with you information about how the abuse impacted my own mental health. Because I would like to pave the way for a future conversation about how most people's mental health would be impacted by sexual abuse. I would like to normalize what are the after effects of sexual abuse that occur for many people. So I'll start by sharing my information, my story about how I was impacted. And then from there, I will broaden it to how most people are impacted. So that's to come. This, I'm sure, was not an easy episode to listen to. It was not an easy episode to record. And so I know that if I'm feeling a little bit, you know, after all that, I'm sure that you are as well with listening. So as always, just take good care of yourself today and make sure that you're doing what you can to just offer yourself some, some soothing and whatever your, your body and your mind might need in order to shake this off a bit and, and go on and live the day the way that you would like to live it. Thank you so much for listening and looking forward to having you back here for next episode. Thank you for listening. If you found today's episode helpful, please go ahead and leave me a review and you can also subscribe to the show so that you don't miss out on any future episodes. For more information about me, you can check out my website, risefromcsa.ca, where you will find resources on childhood sexual abuse, as well as a link to Inner Solutions, which is my private practice located in Calgary, Alberta.